Clark, the British High Commissioner to New Zealand. Welcome to another episode of Tea with the High Commission, the British High Commission's podcast, where we interview a range of interesting people talking about anything and everything, and in the process discover the great connections between the UK and New Zealand. Kia I'm Victoria Hatton, the British High Commission's Climate Change and COP26 Regional Advisor. As we celebrate Earth Day, I'm delighted to be here with a truly inspirational young Kiwi, Sophie Hanford. Sophie's best known for coordinating the nationwide School Strike for Climate New Zealand movement in 2019, which gathered over 170,000 people across the nation, standing up for climate justice. She grew up in the small village of Paikakuriki, just one hour north of Wellington, where she's now a councillor on the Kapiti Coast District Council, and in fact is New Zealand's youngest ever elected councillor. She's continuing to use her voice for the planet at every opportunity and inspire her generation to push for action on climate change. Sophie, some truly remarkable successes for someone who is so young. Thank you so much for joining us today on Tea with the High Commission. Thanks for having me. It's an honour to be here. So, I wondered if you could start by telling us a little bit about how your climate change activism began. When did you first decide you wanted to play a role in getting people to stand up for change? So my climate activism and action journey began when I was 12. So I have this vivid memory. I live, as you said, in Paikakiriki by the ocean. And I have this vivid memory of my parents getting this letter in the mail. And they were sitting around the table together, kind of looking at this letter, looking quite concerned. And so me being the curious person I am, and I was when I was 12, um, asked them what this letter was about. And that was when I first uncovered what climate change was and the impacts that it was going to have on me, my whanau, our home. Um, because this letter was essentially telling us that in 50 or, 50 or so years' time, um, our house would be severely at risk um, due to the impacts of climate change, and one of those being sea level rise and also severe weather events and the increasing frequency of those. Um, so I remember, you know, talking with my parents about why the sea was, you know, relatively, it's, it's two or so metres below our house. We still have we still have, you know, quite a bit of wiggle room. Um, but, you know, I remember having that conversation with them and feeling pretty terrified, actually, at um, why no one was talking about it. It wasn't so much that I was terrified about the impact it was going to have on my home, but more so that no one seemed to be talking about it or doing anything about it. So when I was 12, I invited our Member of Parliament at the time for our local area to speak to my primary school class and asked him that very question, what are you doing to protect... Um, our futures, what are you doing to ensure that young people have um, an, an actual planet to live on and homes to inherit and, and what role are you playing in that? And the response I got back was something along the lines of, well, you're, you're better placed asking that to the climate change minister. He would be better placed to answer your question. And I kind of thought, well, actually, we all share this one collective home, right? We live on the same earth. Surely we all have a responsibility, no matter what role we're in. And I think, in fact, if you're in government or in parliament, you have even more of a um, responsibility to carry the voices and concerns of your whole community into that space. Um, and so from there, I was just like, well, we're too. Did you um, reach out then to the climate change minister? I did, I did, and I had an email response back from him. We couldn't, we couldn't get him in front of our class, um, but I did, yeah, I did reach out to him. But again, I was because I was twelve, I was just kind of asking those questions. I wasn't, um, I didn't really know where to take it at that moment, and I was more so just kind of, um, yeah, I was lucky that my parents empowered me to do that. And when I told them what our member of parliament had said, our local electorate MP, they said, yeah, that's the next step you should really take, and helped me to do that. Um, and then from there getting involved in high school and environmental uh, groups and the like, I kind of, yeah, tried to carry that kind of thread through with me. It's amazing. 
So your work for School Strikes Climate has shown the crucial role campaigning can have in driving climate action. How do you think we can build more public momentum for tackling the climate emergency? And how can we really get people to, tri to treat this like a crisis? I think we almost need to simplify things a little bit. I feel like when people think of climate change or the climate crisis, they think they need to understand all of the science um, behind why we're seeing this global warming of you know, massive proportions. And obviously that's important to understand why and what's causing that. But actually, um, if we just unite to protect this collective home, inherently we are reducing our negative impact. So I feel like if we frame it in that positive way, really simply, um, we can start to then talk about things based on values because actually a lot of the conversations I've had, even with people who, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily agree with the work that they do. For example, the Petroleum Exploration and Production Association of New Zealand, we sat at a table with them and one of the first things that I wanted to ask them was why they do what they do. What's their kind of driver for going to work every day? And I remember one of them said, because I'm, I feel so proud of the work that I'm doing and I just want to create a sustainable future for my kids and make sure that they have the kind of resource that I've been lucky enough to have myself. And it was very much like almost similar reasons as to why I'm doing what I'm doing. So if we can actually relate to people in that kind of way, we start to see that there's actually less of a divide between us all than maybe we sometimes think. And actually if we can, again, frame it in that positive mindset of um, actually now we have the most incredible opportunity we've ever had to save the entire world for the next generation. Um, actually nothing else will matter if we don't do that right now. But it's just that premise of actually nothing else matters if we don't have a planet for it to exist on or happen on. Um, so I think if we can, yeah, talk about it in that kind of sense. Um, and in terms of getting people to treat it like a crisis, I think, I mean, the fact that we have nine years, we have, um, yeah, only until 2030 essentially to halve our global emissions, and that's not long at all. Um, and if we don't, if you know, if we get to say, five years before that moment and we realise, oh my goodness, we've got a long way to go. Well, it's just going to be too late. So I just, yeah, I think we have to, again, frame it positively, but then also the fact that we have a massive opportunity now that if we don't take it, no other generation will even get to enjoy this planet. So, so it's interesting that you frame it as an opportunity. So many people consider it to be um, sort of a problem. You know, mm -hmm. tackling climate change is going to be a cost. It's going to be... Um, you know, it's a, it's a big barrier to progress, but framing it as an opportunity um, in somebody so young is actually really interesting. How, how can you promote it with your, you know, your activism and your mm. role as counsellor and really shift the emphasis um, to make people realise that this is an opportunity? I think it's about that kind of end vision or end goal. Like if we can um, show these awesome visuals of cities that look beautiful and that are connected where people uh, people and their well-being are enhanced and where actually people have easier access to their jobs and get to spend more time with family and have to travel less and can work from home and all of those things. Like those are all actually positives. And something I was met with a lot on the campaign when I was running for council because people knew I was kind of that climate change girl who kept on talking about climate change um, was that, yeah, well, Sophie, climate change is a hoax or what if it is all a hoax? Well, my response to that is that at the end of the day, through our solutions to climate change, we'll just be creating a more beautiful world. But I think we need to give people the picture of that. I think if people can see like what actually are the, the positive implications of some of the decisions that our government could make, um, that can start to kind of frame it as an opportunity and that through addressing climate change we also have the, the ability to address other 
inequities we see. And that's why School Strike for Climate focuses really heavily on climate justice versus climate action. Because when you're taking climate action, you're taking action to fix the problem of climate change. But when you're treating it as climate justice, that's more centred around the vision of climate justice. Through thinking about it as climate justice, you know, for example, indigenous injustice, we could actually, you know, go a long way to um, being able to bridge that gap between our population and our mana whenua, our Māori population, and centering their solutions to climate change, and that's justice. And we can also um, empower women to be a part of the solution. That's also starting to bridge the gap. It's all these cool things we can do along the way um, to actually bring our communities together, I think, and also locally. Like in Kapiti, that's what we're trying to do, is trying to bridge the gap across generations. I think it's just the vision and that visual like thing that I think people need to see, and who that comes from and where that comes from, I don't know, but I just think like we can all start to create that, right? And we can all start to talk about it and that's exciting because, you know, Wellington, New Zealand, the world could be an amazing place um, and it is and that's why I want to protect it. Fantastic, mm. amazing. I think um, that's one of the things about the young, you know, the young being able to inspire actually the older generation or even my generation to think um, more visually about what the possibilities are. Yeah, the possibilities are exciting because all we kind of know is business as usual. Like for, I mean, at least for the 20 years I've been around, things have looked relatively similar. And so, but there's no reason why things can't look different. It's just the will of the people that needs to change because we're the ones as humans that pretty much control all of this. We're the ones that are polluting, which means that we're the ones that, you know, know how we've gotten ourselves into this position so we can change it. So then... Moving on from that, what are your plans for School Strikes for Climate this year? Um, what do you hope to achieve? So I'm kind of a little bit on the outskirts of School Strike for Climate now as definitely the oldest member of the group. <laughs> um, so our whole, our whole organisational movement um, is between the ages now of, I think our youngest member's seven, up until about 17. So um, now at 20 I've kind of aged out a little bit, but I'm still kind of the honorary mum, so they'll give me a call every couple of days and update me on what they're doing. But I'm very much of the mind that um, it's their movement now. Like my role in kind of sparking that, creating a space is done. And actually now if there's people that want to come forward, like they own it, they know how to um, mobilise their peers better than I do. Their plans are mainly to kind of figure out how they can broaden the movement to all corners of Aotearoa, recognising which places they might not um, have teams and how they can, again, that's like trying to change mindsets in some of those places where maybe a school strike team wouldn't be um, super like popular. But yeah, trying to, trying to spread that um, and just trying to, yeah, trying to grow their team um, and continue striking really because we know that we just have to keep putting the pressure on. They're also exploring other tactics, um, working with groups like Pacific Climate Warriors, Te Arafatu, um, For the Culture, so incredible indigenous um, rangatahi who they're working alongside and um, figuring out how like the, the school strike activism and platform can totoko and support the work of um, yeah, so many of our indigenous friends in New Zealand. Fantastic, and if you were going to inspire somebody to join the movement, what would you say to them? I mean, I found some of my best friends through the school strike movement and simply because we have such a similar reason for doing like what we're doing and that's really awesome when you can find people who you can relate to on that deeper level because ultimately like everything, the reason why I do everything that I do um, comes back to, again, that vision for our future and, and what our future could be. And so when you meet people who are totally on that wavelength, 
you're just like, well, this is my tribe. And then the power and the hope in that is incredible because, you know, we had barely any resource for organising any of the strikes back in 2019. I think we had four or $500 for the September 27th one and we mobilised 170,000 people. And I had, we had so much fun while doing it. Um, and so, yeah, it's also a great outlet if you're feeling like paralysed by fear, if you just think climate change is this massive issue that you can't um, be a part of the solution for. Um, I would challenge that and say, yeah, find your tribe and in School Strike, I think you can really do that and people who inspire you every day. Like I'm so inspired um, by the team now. I've shed a few happy tears over the last few weeks just looking at them organising everything and I've barely been involved and I'm like, you just... It's just amazing to know that I was kind of involved in the formulative moments of that is really incredible. So it must be amazing that legacy. Mm. You must be really proud. Yeah, I'm proud of them. <laughs> yeah, and I'm proud of yeah. I guess I'm proud of myself for just like trying to keep at it. Mm. Fantastic. So you're a real inspiration, clearly, in the work you do. But who inspires you? Um, who is your biggest role model? I have lots of role models. Um, my mum is one of my biggest role models. So she works at Play Centre and she's also a um, teacher aide for kids with dyslexia. And she's just an incredible, incredible person. She's so kind and so thoughtful and she's kind to like everyone, everything, the planet. Like, And she, um, when she was younger, did a bit of activism as well. And so I didn't actually find that out from her though. Her sister told me that she used to be a bit of an environmental activist herself. Um, but I, she inspires me though because she didn't like in any way um, try and like raise me in that way. She just she didn't even tell me that was what she did until you know a few months into me organising the school strike for climate, and she just backs me in everything that I do. And so like she inspires me because I feel like she's a great example of how to empower other people. Um, like when I decided I didn't want to go to university, she was like, "Great, cool, do whatever you want. Like <laughs> that's awesome. We're here to support you." Like fully through everything so I feel like I'm so inspired by the way she supports me and that's kind of what I want to be able to do for other young people and other people in my life and obviously Greta Thunberg is a massive inspiration um, and the courage and in, in everything that she shows and um, I just always think to myself like you know if people her age can do it um, and if people like we had a 10 year old involved with our movement um, who went and knocked on the doors of high schools, if he can do it, then I can do it. Like, you know, I, I, there's, nothing, there's nothing stopping us. The, everything that's stopping me is inside my own head. So. so we talk a lot about COP26, which is the major UN climate change conference the UK is co-hosting in Glasgow this November. What would you like to see happen at COP26? I think New Zealand is primely positioned to be leading this conversation, be right at the front in terms of that vision. Like imagine if there was a global vision for how our world could look um, if we truly mitigated climate change and created a more beautiful world from it. And I think, yeah, that's there's a real potential at the moment in time we are at now, that kind of tipping point. Um, so that's, that's a key thing. I think also um, getting past this idea of just doing what we're responsible for. Like I feel like there's this obviously with our nationally determined contributions and everything else like that, we have things that we're responsible um, to do and emissions we're responsible for and, and to then reduce. But I feel like we really need to see a shift to, um, and this is bringing in that justice aspect as well, a shift to making sure we're doing what we're capable of. Like New Zealand is capable of doing so much more than we are and doing so much more than we're probably even responsible for. And we have an obligation to our Pacific Island neighbours um, to make sure we're doing all we can to protect their homelands. So at COP26, 
the UK wants to bring together government, businesses and industry to drive change. Um, but I wondered if you could talk a bit about what individuals can do to tackle the climate crisis. I think there are lots of things that individuals can do. Um, and yeah, I, I do think that we, we kind of run the risk with the um, like individualising the solutions to climate change by, um, again, people feeling like they are responsible for causing it. And obviously, like um, as consumers, we are, with each decision, we can have a positive impact if we choose to, um, or our, our impact could be negative in that it's um, producing more of these greenhouse gases which are causing climate change. So we can, yeah, we can have a positive or a negative impact with our decisions. And some of the things that I do um, to make sure that I try and have a positive impact um, is things like, again, just talking about climate change with my friends, with my family. So uh, although it's not a change you can make, I think it's something people can start to do more of. Um, and again, with each decision, being conscious. So um, if you're leaving your house, just kind of stopping and going, okay, well, I've actually got a few choices here. I could bike, I could walk, I could catch the bus, I could catch the train, I could drive, I could, you know, there are actually options, I could carpool. Um, but so often, again, we're kind of stuck in that business as usual cycle and all it takes is a bit of willpower for us to change. But sometimes we're like, oh, that's the way I've always done things. Also a few um, cool kind of apps and tools, like Kogo is quite a cool one where you can actually see the impact of your purchases and it tells you, um, you know, which places are fair trade, which places um, have low emissions profiles. And so that's a cool app that you can get on your phone um, that helps you out. And yeah, there are other things obviously that people can do, like diet is a big one, um, having a garden. We've got a small garden at, at my house and I'm keen to grow it um, even further. We've got a community garden, so I help out down there because I know that um, if I do that, then hopefully that'll mean less people traveling to supermarkets to get their fruit and veg, I mean they can get it in our, you know, in our backyard essentially. Um, so yeah, there are little things that people can do. So what are the, some of the everyday changes that you've made in your own life? So um, it helps that actually my, my home, so when, when I was three, my parents decided to design um, a new place because our kind of flat thing that we were living in was falling down all around us. So we have um, passive solar heating in our house, so one whole half of our house is concrete. And so we have no heating, electric heating at all. And um, we have water collection, we have solar panels. Um, so our whole family home, we're trying to um, reduce our emissions as much as we can. Both of my parents work in Paikakariki, um, so they walk to work and I catch the train to council. Um, and you know, in 2019, I only bought secondhand clothes. Um, 2020, I think I only bought secondhand clothes in 2020 too. Um, and I'm just trying to, yeah, trying to do what I can in that sense. Um, things like taking my own containers when I go places um, and yeah, just trying to, again, with each, with each decision. Um, catching the train, encouraging other people to catch the train and just, yeah, thinking about my decisions I'm making. Mm. So we usually end these podcasts by asking our guests what keeps them up at night. But I'd actually like to end on a message of hope. I think with the huge scale of the climate crisis, we can often feel a sense of hopelessness or anxiety about what we can do as individuals. But what reasons do you have to be cheerful or optimistic? I think it's going back to those opportunities that we talked about um, and framing it in that way. Like I just want to, I would love in say 50 or so years time um, to be potentially, or maybe not, I wouldn't love this part of it, but like to be in a retirement home and looking around me and looking at, you know, our towns and our communities and thinking like, wow, like that was a vision that we had, our generation had, and look at it now, like it's come to fruition. And so like that makes me so excited 
for potentially that moment. Um, and I think to be surrounded by young people who I'm always around now, who just have the most, who have that kind of zest and who have that energy for creating that. And they're like, obviously concerned about the impacts, but um, we know that if you get too consumed by those impacts or by um, what's happening to our planet, what's happening to our Pacific Island neighbours, what's happening to our wildlife, our nature, our biodiversity, our ecology, all of that, like it can be so heavy. And so I, I always do try and find those moments to be cheerful and optimistic because I feel like otherwise I'm kind of no use to bring people along. We need to be, um, have that sense of hope. And yeah, I find that in so many things, like even just being out in nature, like the hope that actually how nature works gives me, like it's, it's amazing. Nature's a beautiful phenomenon, beautiful um, thing. The way that like our trees can communicate with one another, the way our trees the way trees blow in the wind, the way all of that kind of stuff, it's beautiful. Um, and there's so much hope in how much I think nature's been able to endure already. Like, look at what we've created here. Like, there are buildings everywhere. There's concrete, but look, we've still got trees. And look, we've still got um, wildlife through the city. And, and that's beautiful. And lastly, if you could sum up your message for Kiwis this Earth Day in one sentence, what would it be? I'd say we are the Earth, the Earth is us. Because I think so often people think of humans and the earth as separate things or humans and the environment, but actually we are inextricably linked to our environment. With a healthy environment, you have healthy people. With healthy people, hopefully you have healthy environment, people with healthy minds and healthy thinking. And yeah, so I think um, realizing that we actually need to coexist with this planet, it can't be um, us exploiting our planet for our own gain, because if we do that, then will be worse off as a society because again we need a healthy planet to be healthy as humans um so yeah i would say we are the earth the earth is us is my sentence fantastic thanks so much sophie thanks <laughs> if you enjoyed this podcast please leave a review as it helps others find us and remember you can subscribe to us by searching for tea with the high commission on itunes or spotify thank you kakiti anor Thank you.